He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Here comes Eddie. Not got much help. Oh, he doesn't need any help. How about that? Portugal. And tonight they've been simply magnificent. Champions of Europe 2016. Hello everyone, welcome to episode number four of the Portuguese Football Show, brought to you by Prosima Jornada and hosted by Aaron Barton. We have a new co-host, he's not a one-time only, it's someone who's going to be on the podcast uh, frequently whenever he's available, and um, we're delighted to have him. Philippe? Hello guys, nice to be here again. That won't be the last time that we we hear from Philippe, he'll be here for for the foreseeable, talking about... Uh, all things in his area of expertise, tactics, obviously anything to do with Portuguese football, and just to give another opinion as well, um, to help help the show. So really looking forward to it. Myself and Philippe were talking before off air. So much has happened over the last week or two since the last podcast came out. That also it almost seems like there's so much to get through. But I want to start off in France. I want to start off with Lille, and I want to start off with the Portuguese contingent that are currently top in Lyon. Uh, they're on fifty-four points. They're two points clear of Lyon, and they're in a really good position at the moment. They're in really good form. They won two 0 uh, the other day against Nantes. Renato Sanchez was on the bench. He came off towards the end, I think around the 70-minute mark, and provided an assist as well. He looks to be getting back to that form he was in last season. Obviously suffered some injuries at the start of this season, but the likes of Renato Sanchez, obviously Jose Font, who just keeps going and going, even in into his twilight of his career. Uh, still club captain, leader, uh, leading by example, and very rarely puts a foot wrong, to be honest. And then we've also got the likes of Thiago Diallo on the bench, the young defender. And the midfielder, Zeke, who's more than played his part this season. Uh, he's come in and done a job every time he's been asked to. Uh, and yeah, it just looks really good for Lille, to be honest. I think to be ahead not only of Paris Saint-Germain, uh, they're also ahead of, as I say, Lyon in second place. Whether they can keep it going through to the end of the season is another thing, but... It seems like we've got another team to root for. Last season, it was Marseille with André Villas-Boas, who they were running PSG to the title and then sort of sort of fell away. Um, PSG ended up winning the title convincingly. But this season, it looks a bit of a different scenario. It looks like we, we may possibly have a new winner. And if not a league winner, hopefully Lille can get themselves into the Champions League and we see uh, those those Portuguese players... Uh, representing in Europe, yeah, it's probably the one of the coolest stories in in Europe. A club that normally doesn't spend too much money, even though they spend quite a lot in uh, in uh, Jonathan David this year, but with the ability of always buying cheap and sell really, really in big style, um, it's a it's a very good story. Like you said, they have Cheka, Jose Font, Renato Sanchez, Jalo. They have some people in the coaching staff as well. They had until not long ago uh, Luis Campos, which was the the sporting director, and they is a, is a very cool team to watch. To be fair, and um, yeah, let's hope they can do something against Paris Saint Germain. Even though eventually, always feels like PSG will start playing better, and they eventually going to win all the games until the end of the season. Feels like it, but but it's a, it's a nice story and and something to root for in France, really. It's very important that point you make about Paris Saint Germain. There, uh, it always seems like. When these teams do get a two, three, four, even five point advantage over them at the top, is that you know there's there's going to come a weekend, uh, a match week when they do sort of kick into gear, and then that's it. Then they end up, as you say, going on a run where they seem to win every single game. So I think the longer Lille can stay at the top and they can maintain a a gap between the two sides, then the better. Obviously, Lyon are in second, but it is Paris Saint Germain who. We're obviously going to be the leader in the in the pack, possibly come the end of the season. But yeah, it's great to see see it happen, and also the Portuguese players there that are that are making it happen as well. Renato Sanchez, especially last season, as I mentioned before, was you know fantastic. He was he looked 
the be- in the best form of his career uh, up there for when he first burst on the scene both for Benfica and also for Silasau so great to see him sort of get over those injury niggles and, and, and get back to it um, and then staying on the Portuguese abroad uh, there's another club which have got a really nice Portuguese contingent and uh, like Lille they play some really really good football and it's Manchester City in the Premier League an absolutely emphatic victory over the current Premier League champions Liverpool all of the Portuguese players there were, were involved Ruben Dias João Cancelo and uh, Bernardo Silva Bernardo Silva played uh, an assist a wonderful assist after a, an Alisson mistake for the goal and they've been just wonderful the, some of the form that they've put together uh, they're showing themselves. I mentioned it last week on last week's podcast that I think on their day they're by far and away the best team in the country. And I think last night's performance sort of proved that. Yeah, the the poor goalkeeper Allison made mistakes, but I just think their approach play, uh, the players they've got, especially obviously on here we focus a lot on the Portuguese players and Joao Cancelo, who is just. Still don't know what position he is because he just excels all over the pitch. I know you'll want to speak about that from a tactical uh, standpoint, but that I referred to him yesterday on Prosimi Jonada as a false fullback, and I feel like that's what he is. He he's a completely different player when City have the ball to when they don't have the ball. He drifts him inside and helps out the midfielders and and uh, plays sort of like another central midfielder in there. And we saw a slightly different side to his game yesterday as well. I think. Uh, even after the game, just looking at his positioning, his average position, he was a lot deeper than uh, usual, and he was more out there as a fullback. And that was because he had to deal with you know that the the pace and the and the um, and the talent of Liverpool's uh, front three. But again, he only dribbled past once in the entire game. Really held his own defensively, and which early in his career was was um, something that was questioned his defensive. Ability, but I do think he's really came on leaps and bounds. He's and you know he's been one of the league's best players. Never mind City. Yeah, he's, he's, he's first of all who whatever people say about yesterday, if they seen the game and just say the difference was on Alisson mistakes, is is not true. City plays so so well, and focusing on the Portuguese people in the in the field is yes, definitely João Cancelo was 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 very very good because City builds up in a three. So they have, if people think, Ruben Dias and Stones, and then Rodri drops to make uh, the three to build their play. And then there's a movement when Cancelo comes inside, like you said, to become a second centre mid in the middle. And then there's Bernardo Silva that goes out wide, which is very funny to see and is to think about what does that happen to, to Liverpool when they don't have the ball, which meant Sané didn't know if he was going to go with Cancelo and leave space for Bernardo Silva, or if he stays out wide and then he's... Uh, Vinaldum or another centre mid from Liverpool that stays with Cancel so he just creates that doubt, that change of picture that made the ball come out so easily it feels like sometimes for City and then out of possession again Bernardo Silva was just amazing for me it was it was a different class because the ability he has to press high it was so so good his sprints that made out to make a second uh, strike, even though City didn't play with the striker because they played with Foden up front, but without the ball to come closer from Foden, to press and stop the ball going to the left-hand side from Liverpool was were just so, so good. Yeah, he, he, and you, you mentioned there, I know we started on Joao Cancelo, but Bernardo Silva, he, he, he always is magnificent against Liverpool. I don't know what it is. I think I always sort of hark back to that to that game, I think it was in the 2018-19 season when um, he'd like covered the most distance on the pitch. And I remember he was just by far and away. Uh, it was, I think, City won 2-1. And he was just, he was unstoppable. He was absolutely like magnificent. And and 2018-19 season, it was... Uh, he, a lot of people were, were sort of seeing what Bernardo was about, especially at the start when he first arrived. And it was... You know, Pep was saying it was going to take some time. He was in and out the squad, and then I think it was that that type of performance where you saw, as you say, with and without the ball, uh, his positioning, his pressing, and he just he just didn't stop. And and it was the same again yesterday. City they tweeted his um like a cool graphic out with with his statistics, and they put his heat map, and I think they put like he doesn't stop running or something, and it, it was just 
all over the place. So tenacious yeah, as well. It's, it's so, so good. But nothing running without a purpose. Everything in him, everything has a purpose. He's, because if you think about the game yesterday, his pressing was not to anyone that was close from him. He had clearly an objective that Guardiola gave him and Phil Foden the same thing, which was stop Alisson to play to Robertson straight away. Because what Liverpool does really well is they play back to Alisson and Alisson with one one pass switches up the play straight away. But they straight away, as soon as the ball was moving back, that's why Alisson makes so many mistakes. It's not because he's suddenly is bad with the ball on his feet. Everyone knows he's good. So something else must have happened. And it was as soon as the ball was coming back, City players were killing the second and the first and second line of pass, which is the centre back in that case, Edison and Robertson, straight away were closed down. So as soon as the ball is coming to him, the normal options are not there. So he panics and he has a bit more time on the ball. And then, then the mistakes coming from. So it was but it depends a lot of what the energy that Bernardo Silva could put in the play. And then, obviously, there was a, another Portuguese player who, who was absent, and that's Diogo Jota, who has been injured for, for quite some time. He posted on social media a couple of days ago that he's he's back on the pitch, he's back on the grass, and he's making the steps to return. And I think not to pin all Liverpool's sort of recent demise, if you can call it that, on, on his absence, but you've got to look at how they were playing when he first signed and he was first in the side. Uh, he was scoring, it seemed like every week, match winners, whether the games were deadlocked at nil-nil or whether it was a you know a 1-1 and he'd, he'd go and grab the winner late near the end. Uh, he did it in the Champions League, he was doing it in the Premier League and there was a, a bit of a conversation between whether that front three needed to be sort of freshened up. And I, I think a lot of people didn't realise how much of an impact he'd had until he was out of the, out of the team because... You know, towards the end, before he got injured, there was talk of him, you know, displacing Roberto Firmino in, in, in on a more permanent basis. Whether it's just to be freshen up or whether it's just to give competition, but uh, you've got to look. If you take Diogo Jota out the team when Liverpool were winning games earlier on the season, a lot of those games they draw, a lot of those games sort of slip by them. So this isn't like it's happened overnight. Uh, obviously. It wasn't just all on him, but I do think his absence has been really, really felt at Liverpool. Yeah, sure. Uh, especially because his quality is obviously very, very good. And then second, because he gave a chance to Firmino, Salah or Mane when they had bad spells to come off the rest and then go back on. And now Liverpool doesn't have that. Especially because they loan out to Southampton Minamino as well, which obviously didn't have the impact they wished when they bought him last winter. But now they, those three are playing all the time. And now they're playing every two days, so they're already tired and there's no one to come on and replace them. So that makes a big difference as well. Because in England already, people play every three days. But now, obviously, with COVID and all the calendar being so close together and so much happening with no rest then they needed those options and Jota was a big part of it. And now without them, of course, they, they are suffering the price of it. And just sort of staying on the Premier League, not looking at one club, looking at a piece of news that came out in the last couple of days. We published an article on it um, recently and that's on that the that Premier League clubs uh, are set. Well, it's their own. it's up to their own choice whether they wanted to climb Portuguese players being able to travel for the international games that are coming up. Uh, this all stems from, and as I say, if you want to read a little bit more about it, it's on the prosimadashionada.com, uh, but it all stems from basically the governing bodies in football. Uh, FIFA, they allow, well, there's a rule in place that clubs in England and across the world cannot decline uh, players to travel for international duty. They're duty-bound. However, there's been a slight alteration because of what's happening with COVID-19 and the pandemic and a lot of countries are now appearing on each other's sort of red lists, uh, do not travel zones, or if you do travel, uh, they suffer the consequences. And in this case, uh, it's looking that if they travel to Portugal, when they come back, they'd have to stay in a hotel in England for 10 days. Footballers aren't exempt. Uh, so you're looking at the likes of the players we've already mentioned, the likes of Bernardo Silva, Joao Cancelo, uh, 
from Ricardo Pereira, Bruno Fernandes, all across the Premier League. Players who have, you know, a massive impact. You look at a club like Wolves, you know, if Portuguese players, you know, went on the international duty and you're looking at the types of players you will get called up. Rui Patricio, Ruben Neves, João Moutinho. There's, there's so many players and they're looking like at the moment that FIFA have, have put this in place to say that if players have to quarantine when they come back, the clubs can just say, no, well, you're not travelling. So we sort of move away from that and we look at who could potentially miss out and also how it could affect Portugal. As I say, there's a longer form of this on the website, but just first of all, Philippe, on this, what 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 do you make of this? And and uh, yeah, can you just offer some insight into this? I think if that rule goes in front and, and nothing changes, and English teams can tell the the Portuguese FA that they were not going to send their players, I think the solution is going to be similar to what they done for the Champions League and Europa League games. They were supposed to be happening in Portugal which is finding another venue to play. So I wouldn't be surprised that Portugal look at it and in case they need it to go and play their games, let's say in Spain or France or, or a country where they didn't have to come back and quarantine, but we'll, we'll see. In terms of the players they're not going to be able to, to go, I made a list of a few players that could actually replace them. So I'm going to say a few names. And you would tell me if you would bring them on or not. Okay, okay, that's do you good. Do you want to play that game? Yeah, yeah, that sounds <laughs> and good. And people at home can, can go for it as well. <laughs> so, as a goalkeeper, and I look at the last list and saw, I didn't choose players, they were already on that list. Oh, so, okay. let's say Rui Silva was already on the squad, so I didn't put him mm-hmm. on that list, if you, if you know what I mean. So, as a goalkeeper, I thought of José Sá from Olympiacos. Would you would you replace him? Yeah. Would you I bring think, him? Yeah, I think if we're talking about players that aren't on the list, so the likes of, um, as you say there, the the uh, Rui Silva, you're looking at different alternatives. I think on the last squad as well was Antonio Lopes. Uh, yeah, so Antonio Lopes so, would be on the team as well. So you're, so. Looking at, you're looking at that fair goalkeeper. Yeah, I think um, Jusicar has got experience. He's He's been playing for Olympiacos with uh, Pedro Martins, obviously in charge. Um, he's been establishing himself as as the number one. He was at um, FC Porto, and and he's left onto uh, uh, pastures new to get more game time. I think that would definitely be be a shout. And I think I think I mentioned in the in the in the article is that the third goalkeeper if that's what we're calling them. The, you know the third. If we already say. Rui Silva and, and Anthony Lopez are in the team. Yeah. That third goalkeeper potentially might not play. Um, so it's 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 there for emergencies, it's there for a backup. I think the international break it's three games within within like five or six days. It's something really yeah, bad. It's very so it, it, whether they, they get a, a a chance to come in. But yeah, I think if you're gonna go with experience, definitely. I all I mentioned when I was writing the piece that whether Fernando Santos looks at this as they're my first two, they're my two first choice keepers. They're the keepers who are going to be getting game time, and whether he gives the third place to someone a bit more inexperienced. So obviously Jose Sar has has been around for a while now, and and um, yeah, he's been there and done that. Whereas you look at the likes of someone like Diogo Costa at Porto, someone who's a little bit more inexperienced. He's the he's the under twenty one goalkeeper now. Um, for a little short period it was him and Joao Virginia at Everton but it's it's firmly Diogo Costa at the minute and then also you've got uh, Max from from Sporting so I don't know I don't know what do yeah, you think I, of thought, I thought the, about the it but I'm telling you why did I didn't put and in the next positions you're going to see that there's not <laughs> many players of the under 21 team because at the same time the under 21s are going to play the group stage of the European Championships so I think Rui uh, George would take Diogo Costa the strongest players. and Max to the European Championships. Yeah. Because obviously then if they go through the group stages, because this year the group stage will be in March, and then yes. if Portugal goes through, they play the quarterfinal, semifinal, and final after the season. So yeah. I think he's going to take... A, yeah, so I think even in the other positions like Pedro Gonçalves, 
Rafael Leão, which will be obvious choices, I don't think they will be on this list because they will go to these European Championships. Hmm. That is a difficult one because, as you say, I, I imagine Rui Joyce won't be too too happy, too to, happy. Let, to let these best players <laughs> go. But then at the end of the day, it's, it's weighing up. You know, you, they've got a chance of going for, for under-21 glory, but does does the senior seniority prevail? Uh, if but they... I think it's going to only take players if he's thinking about taking him to the years after. Yes, yeah, yeah. In the summer. 100%. So, so maybe that... a player like Rafael Leon might have a chance. Yeah. But if he's not thinking about taking him to the Euros, I don't think he's going to no take point. him now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because these um, and these games are qualifiers as well. Um, well, I think yes. So and it's the only it, hard one against is Serbia. Exactly. So I don't. I don't think it's it's. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a, it's a chance for for real experimentation. But then at the same time, as you say, we don't know who he's who he's thinking who's in that. You know who's going to be going to that to the Euros in the summer. Um, but continue. I like this game. Next right, position. Cool. So next position that's very affected, like I said, will be right back position. So I put here two names to take. One I think is quite obvious. I think Ricardo Gai from Braga. Mm -hmm. From the season he had so far and the last few seasons, he's just been very unlucky because now everyone looks like if you're right <laughs> back and in Portuguese, you're good. So I think Gai would have a shout out. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, he's in the... Uh, he's in the, I mentioned more for his... His talent, obviously, but also his experience. He's he's yeah. he's already twenty seven, so he's not that young. Yeah, exactly, and he's he's captained uh, Braga a couple of times this season, and and obviously he's he's played in um, he's played every game. He start I think he's started all seventeen at the time of recording. He started all seventeen of Braga's games. He's he's uh, an important part. I think one of the things I mentioned was the fact that especially when Braga play a back three, obviously he operates a little bit higher up the pitch. Portugal yeah. don't they, they play a back four whether that'll change as we go into the future who knows but um, yeah so and and who is the I'm intrigued who's the, the other second one, name the, the second one is the, a bit more uh, <laughs> hard <laughs> to say yes or no I put down as Manafa from Porto okay I I think he's been having a good season since he moved to Porto from Portimonens I think he's been doing really well so I wouldn't be shocked if he has a chance to go to the national team He's okay. been playing 26 games overall so far for Porto this year. And he's been very good attacking. And if you think Portugal will have, against all the teams, most of the ball in these qualifiers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the names. Yeah. Thinking that, I know Diogo Dalot could have a shout-out as well. Um, but I think Manafá could have a shout-out. I wouldn't be shocked. Again, just um, a little bit younger than this guy. I think he's twenty. He's twenty six. I think six. Yeah, twenty six. Yeah. yeah. I, again, he's uh, he, he's been impressive in, in in some of the games this season. And there was quite there was a bit of debate about uh, Wilson Manafat on on Twitter. I saw some people going sort of back and forth um, about you know whether that'd be a, a, you know an option. But again, it's experience, uh, so I can fully see. I can fully see it. I'm I'm excited to see the squad to be honest because, as you say, the whole thing with the the under twenty ones plays into it. Um, you know, so who who sort of has the final say with that? Fernando Santos is obviously just going to want to take the strongest squad possible. His concern isn't the you know the under twenty ones, but then as a as a federation as a as a as a federation, they're going to want to win the or have a chance to at least. Uh, you know, do well in the under twenty one. So yeah, and Portugal is takes the under twenty ones very seriously. If you think about yeah. last, I think it was last one that we qualified in two thousand seventeen. I think it was uh, yeah. Renato Sanchez. He was yeah. European Championship, and he was uh, in the team for the under twenty ones. So it's it's going to be fun to see now for the next position that there's a lot of players that might be missing out will be centre backs. I wrote down three names. Luis Net, I think, has been having a great season with Sporting. Mm -hmm. So I think it could be. Uh, Bruno Alves to come back. A bit uh, left shouts, but still <laughs> been doing okay with Parma. And the other one, he could be on the 21s. And I didn't put him in on the 21s because so far he's never been in the team. And Rui Jorge uh, likes to keep the same players, which is guess. David Carmo. Oh, ah, I said it before. I was gonna. Because as soon as you said, as soon as you said, yes. he hasn't been. Because that was that's one of the biggest points of contention is that David Carmo hasn't 
he doesn't he doesn't feature. They usually goes with the likes of Diogo Leite, Diogo Queiroz, and he's been uh, sort of standing out for a lot of people this season in that in that back three, and he's made a lot of these these lists. I know U- UEFA did like a one to watch for the future, like a starting eleven and the Europa League breakthrough team and stuff, and comparing them to the next Van Dijk and very very you know flattering comparisons. And then as you say, Rui Jorge he likes to. He likes to keep his team uh, as yeah. his team. He do, he doesn't, and uh, he's he's famous, well, infamous for that, to be honest. So yeah, what was you gonna say before I cut you off? But I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> yes, yes. As soon as I, as soon as you told me to, to you're gonna guess, and you're gonna say David Carmo. <laughs> I think I think it could be a good choice. To to be fair, yes, he's quite young, obviously, and he's definitely things he needs to improve. I don't think when people start talking about him to go to Liverpool, I, I I don't think he's that level, and I don't think he might ever be to that level because he has some mistakes that I don't understand how he can still make them. Uh, but he's definitely good enough to to fight for this sport if obviously the English players or the players that play in England are not able to go. Do you want to move on to the sentiments? This is this is the big one. I think, I mean, central big. defense is... is, is one I is, think is, this is very, very obvious. I think Pellinia needs to be on that team. Yeah, no I think doubt, but... I think he Joao needed to be on that list regardless of what might happen with the Premier League because I think in terms yeah yeah of yeah true his, yeah his um the position that he plays and the role that he does and you're looking around I mean the likes of Danilo Pereira I know he's played centre back and he's played centre mid but hearing that that's not going as well as as first thought sort of dropped off a little bit and then. I don't know. I just think Joao Bellini, there's no reason why he shouldn't be getting called up. And I think this just boosts his case, to be honest, because you got the likes of Joao Matinho, Ruben Neves, Bruno Fernandes, who are all possibly not going to make the squad. There's just no way that he wouldn't be called up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the obvious one. Then I have a few other names to be high on the pitch. Another player that I already spoke about today, Renat Sanz. I think he's a very reasonable way to think that he's going to be on the list. Mm-hmm. Then I put down two names that they already been in Portugal. One of them is European Championship, but I'm not so sure. Is I put João Mari. Okay. I think he's playing well for Sporting, but I I honestly thought it would be a lot better. I still think he's not the same level he was before. And another player that last two years he has very good numbers in ratio games per goal, but still I think he's been dropping in quality, which is busy from Benfica. Mm-hmm. Very, and I didn't put yeah. before people go crazy again. I didn't put Pedro Gonçalves because <laughs> I think he would go under to the 21. under twenty ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's a that's a fair shout. As I say, I think that will be a big, um, a bit like a big factor in it. And I think I keep going back to that seniority and as you say, the, taking the competition serious. Are these games the senior similar cell matches? Are they? important and decisive and difficult enough for Rui George to sacrifice his best players? Probably not. As you say, the game against Serbia will be um, the biggest one, but you'd think taking you know, the more experienced players, can Portugal get the, the job done against Serbia? You'd like to think so. Uh, I hope this doesn't come back and, and bite me. But, um, <laughs> yes, in a couple yeah, of months. <laughs> yeah, in a couple of months' time. But, um, but yeah, I think that's that's uh, um, yeah definitely fair. Uh, so you're looking at the likes of Fidel Renato Sanchez I think he'll make the squad and Fernando Santos again he likes to pick players based on merit he's coming back into the squad um, he was only out we mentioned before because because of injury and then when he get back to fitness it felt like there was another niggle and it was just constant setbacks whereas if he can get get himself into the team uh, the talent is obviously there he's a player I I absolutely love. And I'd agree with you as well on João Mario. I think I don't think he's been poor this season at all by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But I th- again, I agree with you. I don't think he's perhaps hit the heights that people thought he would. Now, whether that's just people expecting um, that player, that Euro 2016 player, to just come back and, and light it up straight away. But you've got to think, you know, a lot has happened since then. 
you know, he's had a couple of different moves, you know, the the, the moves. Yeah, and, it's, the, yeah, and, it's and just... people still have their image of him at mm-hmm. 16 in the Euros and the season he had for Sporting, where yeah. it was absolutely amazing. And obviously didn't work out well in Inter. Even when he came to England last time, he was not probably the best. <laughs> in Russia, he played well, but but it was not the same João Mario. And he's slowly to to come back, and he's playing in a, in in a centre mid position where he hasn't been playing since he was in B team for Sporting. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, and now to the last third, wing and striker. Striker, I think there's obviously as well Andres Silva. Mm-hmm. He needs to be on this team. Got to be. Uh, Got to because be. Because scored again. Seventeen yesterday. goals in nineteen games is is crazy. Ridiculous. And then as the wingers, I wrote down. Ricardo Huerta, I think he deserves to be again. I think last time he was called off was 2014. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, but I think it was 2014. I think he deserves to be back again. Then another options, I think Gonzalo Guedes not having a good season, but obviously Fernando Sanchez likes him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I would love him to, to be back, which is a uh, Vitória de Guimarães player, Ricardo Quaresma. He's oh. having a joke <laughs> of a season. Yeah. Please, hashtag, bring Quaresma back. <laughs> we need amazing. it. We need it. We need it. He's just, <laughs> again, he's a, he's another player. He's just uh, another one of my personal favourites. You can ask you know, anyone. He's sort of just, as a, as a kid watching him and watching the things that he did, he sometimes wouldn't pick the easy option, but he picked the option that would, you know, sort of... Get you off your season, and as you say, this season he's been magnificent. Nothing short of magnificent, yes. and and um, you know he's 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 been a a big part. Whenever they play well, he tends to play well, and the onus has been a little bit on him this season as well because we're looking at someone like Marcus Edwards isn't playing as much as people thought, especially the last couple of games he's been um, you know riding the bench, and and he Quaresma he's still doing you know whether it be the tricks and, and the skills, but it's also the end product as well. You know, he puts crosses into the box, he, he scores goals. and Yeah, if Guimarães had a better striker, his assist numbers would be so high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because the quality of the ball he gives into the box is so good. And that'll nev- that's the thing, that'll never change. So when you talk about when players... I mean, as you get older, the you know, the legs might go a little bit and, you know, the, you might slow down a little bit. But... At the end of the, if you can get him to the byline, or if you can get him to where that little area he likes, out just outside, just outside of the box, where not quite at the byline, but where he sort of hits it on the half, he always hits it early and catches. You know that that gap between the defenders and the goalkeeper, that sort of no man's land in between, just curling it round the defence and putting it in front of the goalkeeper, but sort of behind the defenders. That'll never change yeah. because that's that's just quality in those. And he's so smart the way that João Henrique is using him because if people think about how Quaresma was at his peak, he was playing on the left hand side and coming inside, uh, and now he's playing on the right hand side, nice. very close to the line. And I think it's because João Henrique still doesn't have the legs anymore, mm-hmm. so I'm going to put him as wide as possible to give him an space for one v one. Yeah. Where he doesn't have to have the legs to go in behind, he just needs to have the ball on his feet. Yeah. And playing a wide, so wide, gives him that extra space because any full back would close inside because otherwise you're going to leave runners between the channel. Yeah. So that gave him naturally a bit more space and he's been incredible. If people haven't watched, go and see the highlights of Quaresma against Maritim from last weekend and it was so, so good. And now we go over to Portugal, where we will be discussing some of the Premier League action. As I mentioned at the start of the show, so much has happened. So we'll try and pull out as many big, important moments as we can. But with the teams playing a couple of times a week, it feels like there's matches every single day. And there's one team in particular who have really impressed myself, and I know they've really impressed Felipe in, in recent weeks and months, is Passos de Ferreira. They're on a winning streak of six games. Not conceding a lot of goals at all. Won 2-0, 2-0, 2-0, 3-0, and then 2-1 and 2-1. So just two goals conceded uh, in that time. And in that time, they 
beat the likes of Braga, Rioav. Um, the most recent win came against Tondela, the 2-1. And they play tomorrow, hoping to make it uh, seven wins in a row, um, which will be uh, level with the best winning streak so far, level with uh, Porto, who managed to stay together seven wins uh, earlier on in the season. Good going forward, really efficient as well. Um, they've just really impressed me, and I think we did a piece on the manager Pepper uh, early uh, last season about a fantastic run that they went on, and and they're not a team that I've just sprung up overnight. They've they've been there, they've been around. You know, you only got to think it was as 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 late as twenty thirteen fourteen, I think it was, uh, qualifying for the the Champions League qualifiers, and they've had some really good players come through there, uh, the likes of Diogo Jota that we mentioned earlier, and um, yeah, I just think they've been they have been phenomenal, and and they're getting results against the teams around them, but they're also. As I mentioned, they're beating teams like Braga and and um, they beat Porto earlier on in the season as well, 3-2. So it just shows that they can mix it with, with the big boys as well, as well as, as beating the teams around them. But Philippe, I know you've got some really interesting statistics on on Passos. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to, to see. They have a very simple process. And with simple process, I mean, you know exactly how they're going to they're gonna play. And but it's, it's very very interesting. So very one thing that I found very cool that I never thought about it. They have sixty percent sex dribbles in the league, which is the best of any team. So that they in terms of percentage of sex dribbles, they are the best in, in Portugal. They are the most. They have the most quick offensive transitions in the league. So that means they win the ball high and they attack very very quickly. So they don't try to do many passes. They go very vertically to try to score. And then to back that up, they have the highest rate of recovery of possession high on the pitch. So with the likes of, especially a player that's 36 already, I think he's 36, Luis Carlos, he spent all his life in Portugal playing as a holding uh, centre-move. And now, without the ball, he actually goes closer from uh, Douglas Tank, high on the pitch to try to press the ball high. And behind him, then he has Stefan Eustachio and Bruno Costa, the two other centre-mids, to to cover his back but but very very impressive a team that i really like to see and then in the center me they have obviously Luis Carlos, they have Ostaki, which was in Cruz Azul he had a very bad injury he came back to Portugal and they just got signed by Passos permanently and there's been talks they might go to Porto next season they have Bruno Costa which was at Portimonense last year but he's from the academy of Porto um, and then they have uh, Fernando Fonseca which is a, a good right back that I think is from Porto Academy as well. On the left, they had Oleg. They got transferred to Olympiacos. Very attacking uh, full-back. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and up front, they have Douglas Tank, which is a striker, which, to be fair, has been doing a great job for them. And on the bench, they have João Pedro, which sometimes comes on and he's gone the weekend, the win against Tondela. But they are a very, very interesting team to watch. And I think... It's going to be between them and Guimarães, the the fifth spot in the in Primeira Liga. Just hopefully they can they can keep it up. I know uh, Vitória have been on a, a really good run recently. I think they're unbeaten in their last three or four games. As soon as you get into that second half and you start playing those reverse fixtures, um, this is sort of getting into it now. And you want to pull away. You don't want to start dropping points and ending up dropping down further and further down the table, which we see every year. We saw it with the likes of Familicao last season. Who were you know in the Champions League spots for such a long period, and then at a crucial time, uh, drop kept dropping points, and in the end dropped out of European contention. So, um, let's let's um let's see what happens with Passos at the end of the season. But I think I, the way they're yeah, playing at to, the moment. Just to add one thing, I think it was important that in this winter break or in this winter period they didn't lost apart from Oleg and uh, they didn't lost any other important players. And to be fair, they lost Oleg, but they. Done a good deal of going back and buy um, Pedro Rubosh, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a, is a very strong fullback as well. So I think he's going to do an amazing job at Passos. But yeah. keeping all the important plays, I think, will be key for them. And Steven Ostak, I think, is probably the, one of the best deals in Portugal because they loan him, they buy him now for two and a half million, I think it was, mm-hmm. and then definitely they're going to sell it in the summer. So they bought him and they're going to make a profit out of him. And and I think I th- not. People talk about him going to Porto. I'm not sure if fits Sergio Conceição's idea. I don't think he's that super energetic midfield player like Uribe and or Sergio Oliveira. But I think definitely he's good enough for that level. 
There was a dramatic match in Braga at the Estadio Municipal uh, between Braga and Porto. It was ended up being a 2-2 draw, but it ended in the most dramatic of circumstances. Uh, Porto went up 1-0. Uh, Sergio Oliveira scored a penalty after Musa Marega was fouled in the box. And there was a bit of contention surrounding that, but for me, that was a penalty. I think it was Vito Tomein had both his hands on him. And at the end of the day, you do that. You give the referee a choice and, and penalty. They went 1-0 up. Uh, and then just after half-time, uh, Mary Teremi, after some wonderful work from Tecatito, uh, made it 2-0. And to be honest, at that point, Porto looked home and hosed. Braga didn't look like the side that we'd saw in, in recent weeks. They were struggling to put together passages of play. And Porto did very well to frustrate them, to be honest. And then... The game sort of changed with half an hour to go because the man who provided the magic for the second goal, Jesus uh, Corona, Tecatito, was shown a second yellow card and sent off. And in between that, Braga made four changes. So you saw Andres Sparar, Christian Borja, Lucas Piazon and uh, Nicholas Gaetan all come off the bench within about 10 minutes of each other. The substitution started around the 60-minute mark and um, Gaetan and Piazon came on on the 68-69. That was it then. Porto were, were on the back foot. They brought uh, Zaidu on to sort of show things up. Brought Joao Mario on uh, for Taremi. And then it was with about five minutes to go that the game, they sort of just collapsed in on itself after holding with 10 men for, for half an hour. Francesco scored uh, to make it 2-1. And then uh, Nicolas Gaetan, the ex-Benficista, scored the equaliser. Uh, Lucas Piers on with both assists there, so very good for him. But it ended in the most dramatic of circumstances. Then Conceição was shown two quick fire yellow cards and, and and sent off. It's one of those. It's a draw that feels like a defeat for Porto, and it's a draw that feels like a victory for Braga. Um, Carvajal's men for the first half, uh, simply they just didn't really look up to it. To be honest, they, I mean they they tried, but Porto had a had a specific game plan, and then. They end up walking away with a point instead of three, and, and Braga walk away with a point instead of a zero. So that takes them to 37 points, level on points with Benfica, um, who uh, played tonight. Their game has finished not long ago. They um, they won 2-0 with first-half goals uh, from Darwin and Nicolas Otamendi. Is that, first of all, it was a very good game and very entertaining to watch. Second is one of those games that it feels there was two different games inside the same one. So you have one game until the Corona uh, sent off and then you have a game after. The most fun game to talk about is until the sent off because it's where <laughs> tactically is more more interesting to, to talk about. So in this battle, Carvalhal against Conceição, I th obviously Conceição have won because Braga has a very specific way of playing. So they play with three at the back, uh, but where the, where the left-hand side uh, centre-back can move up with the ball to allow Galen to go high on the pitch. And one of the three plays up front, which is Francergio, to when their movement happens, when Galen goes wide, Francergio drops in the middle to be an, another man in the centre. What Conceição did to stop it from happening was two things, in my view, that both of them work. The first one was putting Sa as a left-back instead of Zaidu, which meant without the ball, as a centre-back playing as a left-back, it naturally closes inside. So the space between Pep and him was very short, so no balls for Ricardo Huerta. That's why I felt Ricardo Huerta was out of the game for long periods of time. And then what I asked was to close Jgayu, was Luis Diaz to drop a lot. So sometimes without the ball, it looked like Porto had five at the back. Five, yeah. And and completely killed the space for Ricardo Horta and Francesco to, to drop. And then in the middle, João Novaes instead of Castro, because Castro couldn't play, is not the same in terms of energy. So the two centre-mids of Porto, Rives and João Oliveira, won every battle against the two centre-mids of Almuzrati and João Novaes. And then to close them up was Porto pressing really high on the pitch because you look at the strike of Abel Ruiz, which is a massive downgrade comparing to Paulinho, that left for Sporting. They didn't have uh, an option there because Abel Ruiz doesn't hold the ball as well as Paulinho. So it was very easy for Pep on Bemba 
to win that battle. So every time Braga tried to go, okay, we cannot play through the middle because we're losing in the middle. We cannot find Ricardo Huerta because Sa is closing in down by quite well. Francesio is trying to drop in the pocket, but because then Porto had three centre-backs, Mbemba could go with him. Uh, Manafat done very well against Galeno, so the only option you have left is are you going behind? They didn't have the speed for it. Or we go to your striker to hold up the ball, and Abel Ruiz was not able to do it. And then with the ball, Porto was very smart, making a back three as well. So Sa, Pep and Bemba starting to play out. They send Manafar really out wide on the right-hand side. They send um, Luis Diaz really out wide on the left-hand side to make the pitch as big as possible. And then they allow Corona to come in. And when you allow Corona to come in, to have a touch on the ball, then it goes on 1v1s with uh, Turmena or with Carmo and, and it was always one winner. So I think until the 60 minute, Porto was completely over the game. And then with the sent-off, Porto defended well, but Braga had one thing they was, they done it really well, which is normally, especially by the end of the game, you see a lot of teams to just kick balls into the box. Just drop loads of strikers and put balls in the box that's why sometimes you see the centre-back in the last five minutes go up high as well. And with Braga, you didn't see that. So Carvalhal thought, I'm not going to just play balls because they have Pepe, they have Sa, they have Mbemba, um, very strong headers of the ball. Even though Pepe misses the header and that gives the goal for the 2-2. But normally, uh, they are very strong. So what they try to do, they are try playing through the middle, let Porto get really compact in the middle and then open Jgayu or when Gaetan came in on the left, or Gaetan with the ball to make crosses high on the pitch. Not just sending ball, but working the ball into the box, which I think was really well done, and, and that's why they deserved the, the draw at the end. But I think it was, was a very good game to watch. Yeah, as you say there, the two, two games almost uh, within, and then the tactical battle in that the game completely changed with that red card, because again, with those four substitutes coming on, and, and just the approach play, and as you say, they're not going sort of gung ho, throwing you know, throwing everything at it, throwing the kitchen sink at it, as the old adage goes, is is actually just <laughs> yeah. being a bit more. And bit I more think calculated sorry, sorry to interrupt it. you. I think, and there was one mistake that Conceição did in this game, in my view, obviously, which is when they trying to close down, putting Marega when they are already playing with ten, putting Marega on the right to try to close um, the left hand side from. In this case, already Borja was playing. Which I think in his idea was, I'm going to try because Marenga is very strong physically, so he's going to be able to close down the space. But then moving him out wide took any chances of going behind. So even when Porto defended well, they were not able to keep the ball because there was no threat going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, th I think I think if Consistent would, would be able to play the game again, I, I don't think he would, uh, he would move Marenga out wide and he puts another player wide. Because that killed completely an outable, in my view, obviously. <laughs> so it goes we go now you you look at the table and, and as I say the that point for Braga is a lot is a lot bigger and a lot more important um than than it is for Porto. I mean if you would have offered them maybe at the start of the game, they'd have stayed, you know, sort of in touching distance of of it with actually uh, in front of Benfica and, you know, further away from Passos as well. But in terms of Porto it's it's definitely especially the gate with the way the game panned out, it's two points drop. And lastly, we move on to the post box. Uh, this is a bit of a combined post box. We've got lots of questions. Um, there was an episode that was supposed to go out a week or two back. Uh, I wasn't feeling too well, so I've got some of them here. Also, just a, a, a bit of a, a peeve of mine is if you're sending in a question, please use hashtag the post box. Now, this isn't for... Um, my own ego, or this isn't to try and get it trending or anything. This is simple uh, logistics. Is because when I type in the 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 hashtag the post box to go through the questions, it's a lot easier. They they sort of appear in one stream. So I I will do the hashtag on Twitter. I find them. I'm able to filter them and see sort of what questions we're going to answer. Sometimes people will reply to a tweet with a question 
from a tweet about five days ago, but there's no way of me finding it because we get so many mentions and so many replies that it's it just sort of gets lost with the other stuff. So, and I really want to answer as many questions as possible. So please, 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 uh, hashtag the postbox again. It's not for my own uh, e- egotistical nature. It's it's purely logistical. Um. So yeah, right. I've just I've just said the postbox, and we've got quite a few from the twenty fourth, which is um just just under two weeks ago, I think now, but that was that episode. So the first one that we've got is from uh, Lauren, a fan of, of Prosimi Jona that she's followed us for, for some time. And um, yeah, she's as passionate a Portuguese football fan as, as, uh, as anyone I know, to be honest. She said, do you think Pedro Boro's performances for Sporting could start to attract interest from other European clubs and could that force Sporting's hand to trigger the buy option in the loan deal. Hashtag the postbox. I'll let you start off with this one, Philippe. I think, well, two things. First, definitely, yes, there will be clubs around Europe uh, looking forward to, to sign him. I think Sporting has another season loan. So I think his deal was two seasons. And during those two years, at any time, Sporting can uh, make the buy option, which is eight million and a half which I think Sporting will do uh, to then sell them, sell Pohup for a lot more money. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. He has the qualities to, to, to go play To I look at him and I think Spanish football will be perfect for him. Yeah. Especially if this trend of playing three at the back it goes on. Like a lot of clubs around Europe are going to play three at the back now. And um, he's, he's just a perfect wing back uh, for any team. To, to be honest. So, yeah, definitely, yes. I think that one has, uh, has been answered perfectly. Thank you, Philippe. And also, thank you, Lauren, um, for sending that in. And the next question, again, this is a, a question that came in a week or two ago, uh, same time as Lauren's. And this one's from Johnny O'Sullivan. He said, is Frank Fert's level, and then in brackets, he's bought decent Europa League side, the furthest Andre Silva can go in his career, hashtag the postbox. I think it's very apt at this time to speak about Andre Silva and post that possible next step in his career. So it's a really good question from Johnny because the news sort of filtered in in the last day or two, I think. Uh, Spanish journalists were reporting that Atletico Madrid had bid for Andre Silva on the last day of the window. Apparently, Frank Fair were open to it, but then when they were told the fee, that they were likely to receive, they said no. He's going for a lot more than that. So, don't know numbers. Um, the a couple of Spanish pages reported it, and sort of the tagline on the report is that they're gonna go back in when Dembele goes back, um, because he's on loan at the minute at Atleti, and they're gonna go back in for Andre Silva. Now we were speaking a little bit off air myself and Philippe before. Frank Fitz level, decent Europa League side. They are pushing this season for the Champions League spaces in the Bundesliga. And he's been a major part of that. You know, he's the second top scorer in the Bundesliga. But is that his level? And and do we think that a move to, to a club like Atleti could benefit him? Well, it could go either way, really. Because we've saw this happen before. And sometimes the weight of playing, playing for a certain club... Uh, can affect you. We saw he was absolutely flying, both with the national team and with Porto. He's went to AC Milan, didn't really crack it, and then he went to uh, Sevilla, started off really well, was banging the goals in, and then they sort of dried up. Uh, he went to Frankfurt, and he started, especially the back end of last season, he was on fire, and he's continued it this season, and good on him, you know, with I think 17, 18 games into the season now and he's shown no signs of slowing down. But do I want him to move off straight away to to a Champions League club like Atleti where his minutes may possibly um, dwindle? And I think Andre Silva is a, is a big confidence player as well. I know we were speaking about it earlier. He is a player when he's in a really good moment. He's in a really, really good moment. And... Um, you can't really call it a purple patch because it's lasted longer than that. He's a striker that's definitely got technical quality, but I think he, I think he should just stay where he is. I think he's settled at the moment, and we'll see what happens when he has a dip in form and how quickly he can get back to it. Going to a club like Atleti, where we've saw so many Portuguese players in the past as well go and 
And um, not even so much Portuguese players either, just attacking players don't work out for one reason or another. Uh, I think of the, the likes of Gilson Martins. And if he's playing European football, if he's playing in the Champions League with Frankfurt, fantastic, great. You know, if he's getting called up to the Cellar South, great. That's a really good striker that Portugal have got there. Um, is he elite to go to that next level? I'm not too sure, but again, he's still young. Philippe, what do you think? Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's a play of, of uh, spells. Um, and I think he needs, he's in a moment of his career, he needs to settle down a bit more. Because he left Porto really young. Then he didn't stay for long at Milan because it was a season. Then he was loaned out. Then he went back, didn't work out. Then went to Frankfurt. In between, he was in Sevilla. So he moves very, very often. I would like him to stay uh, a bit longer to make sure he has a very good season this year. Obviously, he's having it. Make sure next year he has a very good season as well. And not happen to what happened to other Intrac Frankfurt players. So if you think Jovic, he left Frankfurt to go to Real Madrid. Too big of a step. Now he's back to Frankfurt and he's back playing well and scoring goals. Hala, he left Frankfurt to go to West Ham. Didn't work out. Now he's in, um, in uh, with Ajax in the Netherlands, so I think it would be good for him to finish this season, have another one in Frankfurt, and then see, but I think Atletico Madrid will be too much for him, I don't think he has that level yet, maybe it will be, but I don't think I don't think Atletico Madrid, even with Diego Simeone, I don't think that's the type of football who would fit him. And if he's comfortable as well, who's to say that he, w- he wants to, you know, make that move? And yeah, maybe he's happy then. Because, exactly, but the th- what I'm thinking is that the people, if he's got good people in his ear and if he's got a good team around him who aren't solely financially motivated, they'll be telling him, listen, you're playing, you know, fantastic football, you're scoring goals, you're, you know, you could be on the verge of taking your team into the Champions League, you're close to getting that sell out spot that, which you had, then lost, and now you're sort of working to get it back. Maybe, as you say, maybe a bit of stability, a bit of consistency is what he needs. And and also, just to go back to the question as well, if that is his level, that's a fantastic level to be at. You know, if you're a you know if you're a a, a marksman like he is, you can you can get into double figures every season. This team can go deep in a competition like the Europa League and and um, you know featured in the Champions League. You're playing for your national side. It's a very good level to be at. And especially when he was at Milan, it looked like, I don't know about you, Philippe, but it looked, for a time, you were thinking, is he ever going to get back to that form he was at at Porto? And, and luckily, he's now he's in a good spell. I don't think I don't see why he'd want to um, sort of move out of that. Yeah, sure. I think the move to Milan was too soon. And he yeah. marked him quite a lot. So it was hard for him to go back into the level he is now. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think... Another, definitely another season at Frankfurt. I don't want to seem to become a player that just moves about, just from uh, the the agents type of player. There, yes. I'm going to put him here, get some money out of him, then two years after moving to another place. Because I don't think he's that type of player. I think he's the type of player that needs to feel that people around him trust him. Yes, he needs and that's why. Yeah, and that's why he felt in in uh, at Porto. Obviously, he was he was from the academy. He was captain very soon. At Milan, he was just another player. At Sevilla, he was just another player. And now at Frankfurt, because he arrived when all the strikers felt like left Frankfurt. Yes. So he was the player that could take them to, to the season they're having now. So yeah. I think he's a player that needs to feel loved. It is It is crazy. When you, I'm just thinking of the names there. Obviously, some of them that moved on before Andre went. But you look at the strikers they've had. Even the likes of, as I say, they're Bastos, Gonzalo uh, Paciencia, who's now at Chelsea, yeah. uh, Haller, uh, Jovic, obviously Jovic is back. So, you know, it's like there's so many moving pieces and Andre has been that one consistent. So that's that sort of need, need to be relied on, need to be, tr- I think you used the, the word there is, is, um, is sort of trusted. Uh, have confidence in him. And I think that's uh, I think that's something he needs as a player. And then just lastly, this question came in from Ivan Russia. He sent it in yesterday. So thank you for getting in touch, Ivan. Is Bernardo Silva back? I'd go ahead and say yes. I think Pep Guardiola came out and said that he had some issues with fatigue. Uh, he was tired. He had a very long season, both at club level and also internationally uh, with Portugal. And he felt like he just needed that season to recover and 
he wasn't putting in you know horrible performances it's just that he weren't performing at that level and there was a big debate about you know where's his best position is he best playing as as one of the three central midfielders um, will he sort of naturally replace that David Silva or will he continue to play out wide uh, he would look really frustrated at times but I think this season he's uh, he's back and he's he's back in a big way he's doing everything that we mentioned at the start of the show um, he's been a big reason for their upturn and form along with um, obviously the key players and the Portuguese talent there as well as well Cancelo Cundias but yeah I think he's he's been magnificent and I think when he's when he first sort of burst onto the scene at City, when people were talking about internationally, it was the two most important players with Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Bernardo Silva. And it felt like the last year or so, people were starting to sort of forget how just how good he was. And I just loved the fact that he's back reminding everyone just how magical of a footballer he is. Yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible. Um Last season, obviously, for whatever reason, it didn't go his way. But I think uh, Guardiola said about him that he's probably one of the smartest players he ever coached, which when you look at the list, is uh, it means a lot. I think as well, he's moving to a central position. It really helps him. I, I Obviously, I like him as he played two seasons ago on the on the right-hand side where they can drift inside. But in, in the middle, he can he can be so creative and help so much a team that has most of the ball, like City. And uh, for Portugal, obviously, he's going to probably play down the right-hand side because in the middle, you have Bruno Fernandes uh, playing as a, as a 10 or behind the striker type of role uh, that can cover more ground than, than Bernardo. But... Um, is is a complete player. He can he can play. I feel he can play any position from midfield up, and we will do anything that you want him to do. As a, as a manager, it must be a dream to to coach because he just does everything right. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that versatility that you mentioned there, he, he and it's so true. We we've saw him play in, in a multitude of positions with Bernardo. I feel like when he's central, he can be so much more intelligent. Uh, he can there's so much more guile and craft to his game than when he's uh, out wide now when he's out wide when he's on it you know he's he's as good as anyone in the world but I do really agree with you there on that point about when he's centrally he, he can he finds it so much easier to 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 place balls between the lines and, and pull players all over the place his movements a low centre of gravity he turns one way goes the other uh, he's tricky without being flashy, if that makes sense. Yeah, in yeah terms absolutely. Of when he dribbles, if, it's the body fainting and the swaying. Um, yeah, and he feels everything as an objective. Nothing happens by by because by accident. If he takes a player on, it's because he already knows that after taking his player on, the space is there for the next action. Action. He can yeah. go short passing and and be the the the, the ball perfect you can go medium range you can go long range and switch play to the other side he does it that well if you think about that's why football is so is so great because if you think about him and Maresh, both left-footed players both players that can play out wide but completely different but Mares is a player that needs the space to go and attack, he likes the dribble, he forces the dribble, he forces the take on because that's the biggest thing. Everyone knows what he's going to do when he has the ball. He's going to pull inside and then try a shot, probably like a very Robin type of type of thing. Yeah. With Bernardo Silva, but if you put Mares in the middle, he gets lost because the game passes him and he doesn't know where to go. With Bernardo, he's different. He doesn't take as many plays on, but when he does, he does it well. He rarely misses a pass. If you see him against Liverpool, like we spoke in the beginning, he can help build up play, moving out wide and uh, out balls most of the time through him because on the th- mid three that they play, Rod- Rodri would drop, like we said. Hugo then would move forward. So the one that connects the third is Bernardo Silva, which if you think about uh, two seasons ago, the same player in the same team with the same manager was not doing that. He was doing something completely different. So that shows how smart and intelligent he is. Yeah, and I, I say there about the... And we've probably, if you add up all the time, we spoke about Bernardo Silva on this podcast, it's probably going into about half an hour, but it's it just, you, you literally don't get tired of speaking about him. So to answer the question, is he back? Yes. 
he is just a wonderful player. So <laughs> it's true. It's true. You can, by looking at him, you can see with each moment the game is on. So if you see him moving the ball short, you understand just by looking at him. If you have a camera just on on Bernardo, you will know if the moment if City wants the game to have a moment with speed because we'll move the ball quickly. You're gonna know if the moment of the game is them keeping the ball, so slowing down the tempo. You will know if they want to press high because you're going to make those runs to press high. You will know if they want to, well, they never want to drop. He will know because he can keep that his position very well. So he's just a, com- a complete player. But yeah, this is becoming a podcast of Bernardo Silva. He needs to come on and then say thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we'll have to um, we'll have to tag Bernardo Silva and try. I think he'll be a little bit um, a little bit occupied at the moment, playing every yeah. every fifteen minutes for City, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully one day um, and that pretty much that pretty much wraps us up um, I think that's um, I don't know what the final run time of this podcast will be but I've got a feeling it'll be slightly longer than usual but let us know in the tweets did you like um, this week's episode this is the first one that we've we've done together sort of as a duo rather than as a, uh, as a guest Philippe thank you have you got anything to uh, end the show with Brave people that were able to keep them listening to the end. So, fair play to you. And yeah, please shout out if you like the podcast. And it was great. Lovely. As always, a pleasure. And we'll see everyone else next week, which will be episode number five of the Portuguese Football Show. It's really flying by. So, yeah, again, thank you. And here, take care.